and welcome to the Total Sucker Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who is the loser of the TSS Derby. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hi. Thanks for that. <laughs> I'm the one who left to go to the restroom and came back to a Wolves jersey draped over the television. So the rule, I, I think the rule is now, yeah. if you're the reigning champion of the TSS Derby, yep. you get to hang your jersey on okay. game day. Yeah. And as soon as United win, which maybe never, that jersey's going out the window. So buckle up for that one. But yes, we've established that basically a draw doesn't do it, right? A draw means that the last team to win gets to keep yeah. the jersey up, so United like have to win. In the, in the wrestling, mm-hmm. WWE, yeah. WWF, when I watched wrestling, it. In the wrestling, I can't remember what to call it. Um, mm-hmm. There was like a thing. The World Wildlife Foundation, yes. If you're the champion mm-hmm. and you, it's a draw, then you get to keep the belt, right? I mean, I, so think going with the I don't know if they system. have draws. I think you just win. You just get pinned, right? One, two, three, and then you win? I've seen games. I've seen uh, wrestling matches called draw. I remember Sergeant Slaughter ended in a draw. Or he got disqualified, maybe? And That's what belt. happens. I, don't think, I, think, I think you have to have a winner. I'm pretty sure the WWE crowd, no disrespect intended, but not big on draws. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of the primary reasons why people don't like soccer. Where's Carl Anker when we need him? Uh, yeah, he would have been question. the guy to ask, right? In Southampton. <laughs> anyway, that's where he is, right? Yeah. We're very far away. <laughs> anyway, the Wolves jersey yes. hangs in the office because it finished at Molyneux. Wolves won, Manchester United won in the TSS derby. It did. Actually, a reasonably entertaining game. Yes, yeah? depending on your perspective. No, it, was, it definitely was. And I think it was, as cliche as it is, it was a game of two halves. It was a very, <laughs> I would say, United played the game plan they wanted to play and had the better of the chances and more of the ball, I think, throughout, but definitely in the first half. Yeah, 65% possession. Yeah. And then second half, I think Nuno made a change at halftime. We'll talk about that. Yep. And I think really from there on, it was... United sort of sitting off and I think thinking they could see the game out. And then once Wolves equalized, aside from the penalty that wasn't meant to be, it felt like it was sort of a game that United struggled to kind of get back into at that point. Um, The one difference I would note from, say, the last meeting, I Mm -hmm. think Wolves... Um, started their defensive pressure a little higher. Yeah. So remember the last game, especially the FA Cup game, is the one that really stands out in my memory. Yeah. Wolves played the same theoretical formation of five three two, but it was everybody behind the halfway line, let United come at us, and then we will hit you on the counter. Mm-hmm. This time it seemed like um, the starting line of, I'm not going to call it pressure, <laughs> because they didn't really try and win the ball, but like Jimenez um, and Jota, the two strikers, were like blocking off passes to midfield. They were over the halfway line, and the three Wolves central midfielders were higher up trying to block off passes. So Wolves set up a, li- mm-hmm. a little higher and tried to frustrate United and didn't let them have passes through midfield. Yeah, which, which I think is... Which a, almost worked. It did, but I think it's also just a, a smarter tactic or a smart tactic because... Maybe like you obviously know Wolves better than I, but like this does feel like an adjustment to Solskjaer because mm-hmm. the con- kind of consistent criticism or accurate summary of Jose Mourinho was play defense and then maybe look long, but there's less of a game plan for the attack. Yeah. And I feel like if you're Wolves, you can maybe be less worried about United attacking when it's sort of like hoof it long to Lukaku and then everybody get around him versus <laughs> a little bit more technical, a little bit more passing and moving with this United team. It does make sense to kind of put them under pressure earlier as opposed to letting yeah. them to get into your defensive third and then passing and moving the ball quickly. I would say one of the only times that Wolves' defensive plan broke down was United's goal mm-hmm. in the first half, the yep. Anthony Martial goal. And to before we get into the details of it, I would say it's Wolves were, again, quite high trying to block things off. But then the idea is once United get the ball over, over the halfway mm-hmm. line, then they would collapse backwards and get into a more like compact 5-3-2 yeah. 
but they didn't do it fast enough. And there were little gaps between, say, the defence and midfield. And then a series of United players were really smart about exploiting those gaps. I want to say first Jesse Lingard found the gap between defence and midfield. And then Marcus Rashford very much found the gap between defence and midfield. They both did. I would take it one step further back because a spot that kept opening up was for Paul Pogba. That I, mm. It felt like he kept being able to get maybe a little bit behind Jota, a little bit behind Jimenez. But he like there was a difficulty for Wolves in terms of who was supposed to track him at any given moment. Some- it kept changing, right? It was yeah. Martinho and then it was Dendonka. Exactly. Maybe the plan was to like pass him around a mm-hmm. little bit, but then when you're passing him around... There are moments that no one has. It. Yeah, and, and and this is one of those moments where he gets the ball from like kind of like right side, is able to turn and play it to the left side, and I think that right there, the fact that he's able to kind of turn without much pressure and find another pass, yeah. change the point of attack quickly, but also it now makes Wolves sort of have to shift everybody over onto one side, and now they've got to try to deal with a transition in a way that I think they weren't trying to. So I think and that's when you a good moment. Inside, of movement you get from stretched, him. Right? exactly. You get stretched yeah. and stretched and stretched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's and then it's that quick passing that I think we haven't seen as much from Manchester United. At least certainly at this time last year. Whereas here, I think you see what that can do to a team that's trying to play a sort of semi-high line and a little bit of high press is that if you can bypass that and then make them start chasing, it's difficult to get back into a shape where you're just playing kind of resolute defense. Instead, you're scrambling a bit. And I'm also, again, very impressed with Marcus Rashford, the way he spotted the space and knew he was like, Mm -hmm. he made himself available, but then there's that moment where he steps into even more space, but he waits until the right moment to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think, is it it Rashford that then gets the ball to Martial? I think think he plays the through ball as Martial runs across. Right. Uh, yeah, that sounds likely. I do not have the the stats. <laughs> I'm in front pretty of me. confident that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, and then it's and then it like could have been. I think McTominay making the same run, or maybe it was Luke Shaw. It was Luke yeah, Shaw yeah. could have been in there instead. Martial correctly calls him off and shoots at the same time and puts it in. Isn't it quite an impressive finish, right? Yes. It's from a tight angle and mm-hmm. he hits it inside the near post. And he's tried, a Willie... little bit. Landon Donovan against Algeria. Yeah, I'd say a little bit, <laughs> especially because was it Willie... Algeria? Uh, Slovenia, I think, is the roof okay. one. Yeah, yeah Algeria, right. Algeria yeah. was the dramatic uh, late one. So Slovenia. Slovenia, yeah. Slovenia keeper that he tries to take his face off. Yes. Yeah, but it's <laughs> also that Willy Bolly here has decent positioning. Like He, does, he, he right? basically has the back post covered. It's just that Martial rifles it into the near post mm. and like the kind of top near post corner that I think the uh, the defense did not see coming. As a man, you know, I found, does this make you optimistic about Martial? Scored last week. Scored this week. Seems to be a lot more mobile and like running in behind and confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I uh, I have concerns about depth more than more than necessarily individual players. You call him Martial Shallow? <laughs> yes, I am. I, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if he's like you know. Like, he watches uh, trash TV. Emotionally reflective enough. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's no master na- masterpiece theater. He skips past downtown downtown Abbey uh, to instead watch yeah Jordy Shore or something. He calls it downtown Abbey. Exactly. That's the problem right there. <laughs> um, no, I I really I'm okay with Martial, and I kind of like that he is finally getting to play central striker. I think we talked about that a little bit while we were watching the game. Yeah. Like, this isn't where necessarily you wanted the show to go, but I will say that, like, more so my frustration is with Marcus Rashford in this game because Mm. he had moments where he was probably United's best player, and he had other moments where it was the thing that frustrates me the most about him, where it seems like he is sort of the pressure is on, and people seem to be looking to him, or he thinks people are looking to him, and that's when his decision-making becomes questionable. And it's not just free kicks that go 15 yards wide and don't get off the ground. It's not just sort of rush shots from distance. It's also moments like, do you remember when he tries to do the Cruyff turn on the sideline and just plays it out of bounds? Like Those moments don't need to happen. There wasn't the space to do it, because he was was already actually on the chalk, Mm -hmm. or the paint as it is, and he tried. It wasn't exactly a Cruyff turn. It's almost like a Cruyff turn that you... 
put behind you and then yeah. it's crayfish, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I get it's it. It's a crayfish turn. Cr- crayfish mm-hmm. turn. Yeah, but there wasn't space to do it. I, I understand the frustration, but yeah. it's also what makes Marcus Rashford exciting is kind of that he's willing to try that. stuff. It is, right? but and I think that yes, and so I think really strangely, what it goes to for me is a little bit of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer not necessarily getting the team where they need to be because if that's Rashford trying to do stuff 40 yards from goal, it's because he's not able to do it 20 yards from goal, which is ideally where you want him trying to beat people. So yeah. I think there was a lack of adjustment from Manchester United, especially as the second half gets underway, whereas Nuno and Wolves, I think, did a very good job with their adjustments. And it involves Marcus Rashford's side. I'm not sure mm-hmm. it's Marcus Rashford's fault, but yeah. what Wolves changed at halftime was they took off Matt Doherty, yep. who was playing right wing back in the 5-3-2, and brought on... Adama Traore, mm-hmm. who is really much more of a right winger than a right back. Yes. And essentially just gave the ball to Traore for the first five, ten minutes of the second half and had him go at Luke Shaw. And he got cross after cross after cross into that box. Eventually wins the corner mm-hmm. that Wolves, uh, Wolves score from, He wins right? the set piece and then wins the corner from the set piece that yes. leads to the goal. Oh, yeah, yeah. He won that yeah. free kick that then him it's, and it's pretty impressive. the bar from, right? But it's a, it's a big change from the first half because first half Wolves were going to mm-hmm. the left, giving it to Otto. Otto was running at Aaron Wan-Bissaka and getting tackled, I want to say, every single time. We saw that while... Did you say they call Wan-Bissaka the spider? I think I've heard them call them that. It's like yes. he's got so many legs yes. that you can't get past him. Yeah, but even when Wan-Bissaka was maybe a little bit too far forward or a little bit too wide, and then Wolves found a gap to play In the, the ball half? into over the top, yeah. Then you had Daniel James, who has that raw pace, yeah. and he was able to get back, and twice he beat Otto to the ball. And so... so that was we, a no-go for Wolves, right? It's like, yeah. we tried that, and there's just... There's, all the entrances are blocked. And so yeah. we kept wondering, like, why would you go down that side, which has... A a very fast player who can cover and then a very good defender versus the left side for United, which has Luke Shaw, fitness concerns, and a little bit of emotion or uh, positional drift at times. Maybe emotional, emotional drift, drift. I don't know. But then also Marcus Rashford. That's why he can't go in Pacific Rim. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't drift well with Marcus Rashford. <laughs> there we go. It's a deep cut to Pacific Rim and not the other one, which is terrible. Um, <laughs> but it's also Marcus Rashford who's not going to be doing as much defensive work. I'm not trying to say that he's like just whatever somebody else handle that. But like, his game, right? Yeah. He's essentially a forward who mm-hmm. is adapted to playing left wing. Yeah. So he's like a left-sided attacker. He's not going to – he's not naturally a defensive player. No. Yeah. And so you, now you focus down that United left side with a player like Adama Traore who has the, like, the like, uh, acceleration to cause problems to Luke Shaw. But the thing that I was not quite ready for – and maybe this is because of how hyped you were about Adama Traore last season about – like I, I feel like you were kind of big on the idea that he was going to be this game-changing player for Wolves. Because I'd added him to the TSS scouting network, and before I'd done that, I'd watched all the Traore Mm -hmm. highlights. So I'd seen all the things where it comes off, and it looked like here's a guy that can just beat anyone anytime he feels like it, which didn't turn out to be the case all the time last season. But the first 10 minutes of the second half looked more like the highlights I watched a couple of years ago. And, and I think, like, I would agree with that, and I would extend it one step further to say that, like, he, he had no problem getting past Luke Shaw with the pace. He, he won some physical challenges there, too. Yeah. But his decision-making, in my mind, was better than I've seen it be in other games, yeah. even in other games against Manchester United, that it, it didn't feel quite so much of, like, look, we're just going to give you the ball. You're really fast. Try to make something happen. It felt like he was varied in the times that he did try to be kind of a direct in that attack. But then also there were moments where, like, there was the one that was, like, a long diagonal for him that's about to go out for a goal kick and he somehow gets to it and puts a one-time cross back that almost leads to a goal and those moments of sort of technical decision making and precision were really impressive and I think again caused Manchester United and specifically Luke Shaw big big problems I think the big thing for me is it's not like he 
left Luke Shaw for dead and was in Acres of Space, he would like wait yeah. until we were getting towards the mm-hmm. end line and would just know how to accelerate just enough to create enough space. Like Troy knows how much space he needs to cross. So he would create just enough separation between him and Luke Shaw yep. to put a cross in. And that really became a problem for United. Yeah, because, I mean, if ideally if you're a defender and you're forcing uh, like your opponent into taking a heavy touch to try to get that cross in, it means they're sort of, they've given up on trying to beat you, they've given up on going for the simple pass, so they're going for kind of the hopeful cross. And a lot of times, you can just sort of step across, block that cross, and it's not really going to happen. Whereas here, I think because Traore is so quick in his acceleration and his first touch, but then gets the cross off so quickly after that, that even if Luke Shaw does react to it, and he's not necessarily slow Luke Shaw, Mm -hmm. but I think consistently that one little touch and then cross from Traore beat Luke Shaw consistently. You just say it changed the game. Yeah, Yeah, I absolutely would. But I also think it was... Like not to make it Manchester United specific, but I feel like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did not adjust to that. And we noticed in the rewatch, we're not paying quite as good attention as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was, but I assume he should have noticed this, is that in the lead-up to the goal, they, Wolves, target Traore three, four times on like long diagonals over the top to his feet. And it's very clear they are going for him and they are attacking that side. And it's very clear that Luke Shaw kind of can't handle that, especially when then you have further overloads from Wolves and like more players sent over to that side. And it felt like United really struggled to adjust to that change from Wolves. So how could they have adjusted? And we haven't even talked about the Wolves goal yet, by the way. We'll we have that. That's yeah. fine. Uh, I mean, I think we talked about this a bit in, while watching that there's a little bit of a lack of depth for Manchester United right mm-hmm. now, it feels. I think they could have maybe tried to have like one of the central midfielders in Paul Pogba or Scott McTominay maybe slide out and just be a bit more cover. They could have subbed out Marcus Rashford earlier or swapped him with, say, Jesse Lingard and put him central and then have like a, a more dedicated defensive wide player out there, like maybe an Ashley Young, although I don't know if he can actually play defense. Uh, you had the idea, I think, of maybe putting uh, Tuanzibi in there who is a centre back he could play yeah, left back push, Luke, hindsight, you know. hindsight being 2020 yeah. obviously but yeah Tuanzibi mm-hmm. a centre back to play left back yeah. to go up against Truro and then Luke Shaw as the left winger who is ultimately going to be playing sort of defensive left side yeah. and then maybe you can uh, with a double team mm-hmm. shut down Adama Traore yes yeah maybe and I'm going to jump to my conclusion here which is that this is part of the reason why I think even though it's a draw in the second week with a Manchester United team that I don't have that high of expectations for the reason why I still found this frustrating is because to me this was if you're playing like a game of chess like if, between the two managers you said that Ole was out tactic yes he absolutely was that I think <laughs> Nuno evaluated things at halftime probably before halftime and maybe like closed it down a little bit then they make the adjustments at halftime and they come out and it's pretty clear what they're doing and contrast that with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer not making changes until yeah. the 80th minute thereabouts and to me it just felt sort of like uh oh like these are the moments that I worry about we're like uh-huh. why aren't you changing things why aren't you adjusting things I would say my experience watching Wolves mm-hmm. has been that it's not necessarily that Nuno makes these sort of Pochettino level genius yeah. changes it often is we're 1-0 down get Traore on there and ask him <laughs> to run at people you know what I'm saying so it may be as simple as that like just it's almost like a a pre-programmed thing. Oh, we're losing. Get Traore in there. We'll, yeah. we'll try that instead. So it might just be that like Luke Shaw is particularly not adept to handling that challenge. And yeah. so it was just the kind of same change, but it looked that much more effective. Yeah, yeah. But I still think it was a very smart move, even if it was sort of what they do uh, consistently. What I'll give Nuno and the Wolves coaching staff credit for is the Wolves' goal from the okay. corner kick. Because mm. you mentioned Masterpiece Theatre earlier. Yeah. This was Master Set Piece Theatre. This is a designed play from Wolves to open up the space for Ruben Neves 
Rangers at the top of the box yep. to strike that beautiful strike and yes. make it 1-1. Because it's a uh, corner, we mentioned. Short corner, uh, yeah. Earned by Adam Traore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's John Moutinho takes it. He plays it to Diogo Jota, who's yeah. kind of come from inside the six-yard box. He's made the short corner uh, short run. Short corner run? Yeah. yeah, and it's basically, it's not a wall pass, but it's like uh, Moutinho to Jota, back to Moutinho, and then he fires a low pass it's like a diagonally, low diagonal. Yeah, to the top of the 18, where uh, Ruben Neves is unmarked. He certainly is. So much so that he takes... Um, so much so that he takes two touches to settle the ball. The third touch is the shot. Yep. It is a lovely shot, but it, it is, even though United players are contesting it in the end, I'm still calling it an uncontested shot because he is so wide open at the top of the box. So the thing we noticed is he's so wide open that mm-hmm. um, his first touch isn't great, nope. right? He Top's tries up. to take it with the outside of his foot to just like push it to his right before he shoots, mm-hmm. but it pops up. So he has to take a second one to bring it down and push it out before he shoots. We think it's because he sprinted mm-hmm. From the halfway line. Yes. It looks on the rewatch like all the Man United players are in the box defending, right? Mm-hmm. More or less. The Maybe only Daniel one is, James is just outside. Daniel James is like on the 18, but very much near in case. Like yeah. there's a weird short corner that happens. Maybe a short corner that goes a little farther back, which is a thing that happens. Yeah, and then, but anyway, uh, all the United players are back, right? Yeah, Martial is the only other one who's not in the box. He's mar- marking Otto at the top, but then Otto sort of comes closer to the corner. Martial yeah. steps in front, but moves about five or ten yards away from where he was. And that is precisely where the ball goes. Uh, but what I'm driving at is all the United players are back. Yeah. And then... The Wolves have everybody forward mm-hmm. except for Connor yep. Cody, and it seems Ruben Neves yep. was probably alongside Connor Cody on the halfway yep. line. I think he sprints to the top of the box. That's why I think that's why no one's marking him because yeah. he looks like he's just defending. It doesn't look like he's part of the attack until he is, and that's part of the design of the set play, right? Yeah. Is that he arrives late. It is, and I also want to say, I think this was your point, so I want to give you the credit. It does seem as though this is a thing where uh, Wolves watched how United defend set pieces, specifically corners, and noted that they tend to put everybody in the box or right around the box. Yeah. So if you have that late-arriving run and you can open up that space at the top of the box in the middle, chances are you're going to get a shot. Yep. And it does seem like this is was all designed to open up that alleyway for mm-hmm. the ball for Matinho. And so in that regard, again, it's great work from Wolves to kind of do the scouting, to watch the footage, to know exactly how they want to approach this. And then to underline it, we might have already said this, but to underline it, I think, and I think you agree, that the Jota uh, short corner yep. run is what drags everybody over yep. and opens up I mean, it the, literally pulls out Rashford and Lingard, yeah. yeah sorry, and Daniel James as well. Side. So it ends up being 3v2 for United, but no one is applying enough pressure to really cause Moutinho any problem yeah. or kind of disrupt Sweet that pass coming pass in. from Jam Oh, yeah. As well. it's, it's, the, I, I don't mean this to be like hyperbolic or like whatever hot take, but it's as good of a pass as it is a shot, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because to be able to play that ball as accurately as he does with the pace behind it, because... It's an, it's, a, it's an open pass, don't get me wrong. But if you hit it with 20% less power, it gets yeah, there yeah. 20%, or 20% less fast. And so then, you, if you're a United player, you're able to step to it, maybe cut the ball out yep. first, or at the very least, block the shot from uh, Ruben Neves. We, we can also say, what the, so the corner is Matinho yep. to Jota to Matinho to Neves, mm-hmm. made in Portugal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> like much of the... I mean, yeah, there's a good chance say, that that happens. Your whole team is made in Portugal. Right? Let's, let's be real here. <laughs> so that's 1-1. Even Connor Cody at this point is made in Portugal, <laughs> somehow. That's 1-1. But mm-hmm. in the 67th or so minute, Pogba wins a penalty kick. Mm-hmm. 68th minute, Pogba has his penalty you kick You got your minutes right. You don't even have your Rui notes in front of you. Patricia. I, I mean, have the notes written down. It is 67 Pogba clipped. 68th Pogba makes yeah. me sad. Okay, so first thing, definitely a penalty, right? Yep. Pogba... Dribbles through. It's mm-hmm. really good stuff. And he puts a really tight... It's a one-two with, I want to say, Martial. It is, has a yep. nice little reverse mm-hmm. pass. Again, big fan of Martial sent forward. Um, Pogba has a nice, like, sharp cut that completely falls yep. Connor Cody. Connor Cody leaves his leg in, trips him. Connor Cody looks like the guiltiest man ever. Afterwards, yes, there's no protest. Definitely a penalty kick, yep. right? 
Then the con- there seems to be a controversy mm-hmm. that Rashford took on last week, scored it. Pogba took this week's and missed it, right? Yes. First of all, not a good penalty kick, right? No. It's uh, it's like mid height, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not in the side netting. It's slightly too far. It, it, it inside. is in the it's, easy to save. it's in the like most savable position if yeah. the goalkeeper guesses the right way. So there we go. That's our penalty analysis. Yep. But the bigger controversy seems to be why did Pogba take it? Mm-hmm. That does seem to be the controversy. <laughs> uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was asked about this after the game. He basically said that we have two designated penalty takers. I think he said penalty shooters, which again was concerning to some people who are purists. But whatever. <laughs> um, and it's. Marcus Rashford and Paul Pogba, and he essentially said, I leave it up to them to decide, and I guess in this case, this is me editorializing, me, Taylor, um, that it was Rashford who took it last week, so they gave it to Pogba this week. Also, but, Rashford won it last week, mm-hmm. and Pogba won it this week. He did. So I wonder if there's a thing of, you win it, you get to take it. And then Your my, first claim, at least. And then my Taylor theory on top of that is about five minutes before uh, the free kick I alluded to, or mentioned earlier, oh, Marcus yeah, Rashford yeah. hits a free kick from like 35 yards out. Where, is this where he was like, oh, the near post open, I'm going <sighs> to give that a go. And then I'm going to shoot it 10 yards wide yeah, on the yeah. ground, and it barely goes out for a corner at all. I think he hit the GoDaddy ad. He did. He was that mad at it. Uh, but he hit it slowly, gently. But uh, like I do, that does factor into my estimations a little bit because if that's me, I'm not Marcus Rashford. I surprisingly have not played for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. I, I know I don't know if you know that, but like if you hit a shot that poorly and then there's a chance to hit a penalty to go up and get the lead back, there might be that element of like, ah, eh, you know, my, my shot like my last shot wasn't very good. Maybe I'm not in the right mode. Yeah, you take it, Paul. I don't necessarily disagree that that's a thought process, mm-hmm. but I think it's more that two designated penalty yeah. takers, there's some like conversation between Pogba and Rashford, but they seem to have an agreement that maybe if you win it, you get first dibs on it. Yes. Yeah? That could be. It's not even a bad system, but I think it now it looks like a bad yeah. system because Pogba missed. It right? did. But we could have a system where Pogba is the designated penalty kick taker all the time. That's still a bad system if he misses the penalty, right? It is. So yeah. you don't blame the system, maybe you blame the shooter. Yeah, and I think that's key, to use key, key point there. Two, two, two things I would say about this penalty. The first, exactly, that I think if it's Anthony Martial is the designated penalty kick taker alongside Rashford and Martial misses... I think this is less of a story. But I think it's Paul Pogba, who maybe wanted away, maybe told some people that he was definitely going to be moving this summer, has not yet moved, may still move. But like, there's all these sort of rumors and controversy and drama around Paul Pogba. This adds to it. It sells papers, so people focus on it. Is it fair to say that some people in the British media kind of have it in for Paul Pogba? Some? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say yeah. a fair few, yes. Yeah, like Graeme Sinesse is an yeah. example of someone who just doesn't, doesn't give him enough respect and is always looking to attack him. And I feel like people just react. He's such like a big personality yeah. and a big figure and he's so front and centre of a lot of things. I feel like he's kind of just weirdly there to be shot at. Yes, yeah. I think so too. But I think also to the point about Graeme Sinesse and a lot of the kind of like older guard who yeah. do some of the commentary, I think that was going to be my second point that like – Gary Neville, uh, Jamie Carragher, after Ole gave that comment, uh, come, came out and they were like furious about this. How like this is not how it's supposed to work. It's not a lottery or whatever. Like the the person who should take it should take it. Not a tombola was what Neville Thank said. You. Right. Uh, and to me, that feels like the sort of old guard Manchester United, Jamie Carragher, old guard Liverpool of a like no, yeah. like we want the leader. You want the person who is saying like this is what's happening. And I could just see him getting annoyed with Solskjaer being like, yeah, we've got two and it's fine. And it's kind of up to them. Whereas you think about like the Manchester United of Gary Neville, where it was Roy Keane would berate you if you even came near the penalty. Like I, <laughs> it, it felt a little bit like that. Like all these kids today, they're like none of them. None of them want to be a leader. They all just want to kind of pass it around. And it did have that vibe to it as well. It's not like it was in my day. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Says Gary Neville, who retired ten years ago. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's not like he played in the sixties or anything. So, anything else to say on this game? No. I mean, I think I think it. It's it's a strange reality of the Premier League right now that like. I don't know if this is a good result, and I don't know who it's a good result for. Because <laughs> there's a decent chance that Wolves finish ahead of Manchester United. There's a decent chance Manchester United finishes ahead of Wolves at the yeah. end of the season. So I think 
it's a sort of time will tell what we take away from this game. But I would say overall that uh, Wolverhampton adjusted to what was happening. We're clearly being outplayed in the first half, found a way to get a goal back and found a way for it to finish like one-to-one even while conceding a penalty. I think Wolves probably the happier of the two teams yeah, on the day. Yeah, obviously the happier. And I would say as a Wolves fan, like to me it's sort of suggest that that thing that Wolves did last year mm-hmm. of always getting at least points against yep. the big, big teams. Um, That's what you got to do. The first time we face, all due respect to Leicester, the first time we face a big, big team, mm-hmm. get a point at home against yep. Man United, that's not bad, right? It's an nope. indicator that maybe Wolves can do the same thing mm-hmm. again this year, which I honestly didn't think they'd be able to. I thought maybe the big teams will have... Be a, be a bit yeah. more aware of Wolves and be like, all right, we know what to do this time. Well, maybe yeah. some of the big teams will be. Or we'll, some actual yeah, we'll big see, teams right? will be. Yeah. We'll, see what, we'll see what Man City do today. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, so the rest of today's show, mm-hmm. we have listener questions oh about the weekend action, oh including one about Americans Abroad. If you're here for the Americans Abroad chat, which a lot of our listeners love, right? And we mm-hmm. love talking about it. Don't worry. <laughs> There's going to be plenty of Americans Abroad talk. There will indeed. But first, today's show is sponsored by... Hymns. <laughs> like something funny. I like that you drew it out like that. The drama. Hymns. Hymns. You made it soothing. A new wellness brand for men. I put three M's in it. <laughs> you did. With age comes wisdom, but getting older can be a downer in one area specifically. I see what they've done here. What could 40, they possibly be referring to? Forty percent of men by age forty struggle from not being able to get and maintain an erection. That's where hymns comes in. You don't have to turn to weird solutions. You can just turn to hymns. You also don't have to suffer in silence. You don't have to pretend it's not happening. There, there is action you can take right and you can take action backed by science mm-hmm. and there <laughs> these well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions that help you combat ed mm-hmm. um, if you've paid attention to the uh, ed treatment market for the last what decade plus mm-hmm. you'll know the name brand prescriptions that we are referring to you will indeed <laughs> uh, and hymns connects you with real licensed doctors fda approved pharmaceutical products to treat uh, ed what that means is that you're so not, not not fake doctors and no. unapproved medicines no no fake doctors uh <laughs> No Leo Spachemin uh, coming in and <laughs> Leo pers- Dr. Spaceband from 30 Rock. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> pronounces it Spachemin. Are you pregnant? Do you need to calm down? Smoke Chatterington cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, no, none of that. Instead, uh, they connect you with real licensed doctors who provide you with well known generic equivalents. They will not say, like, maybe you could take it or you could take it or you could take it the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer route. Instead, yeah. they will say, no, you take it, definitely <laughs> you, and it will help and get a result. I've got, okay, I've got an either or question for you. Yes, sir. You have a broken arm, uh-huh. right? It hurts a lot. Yeah. The only, I should not take erectile medicine for that, that one. That wouldn't help. Uh-huh. Right? The only doctors available are Dr. Spichemin uh-huh. and Dr. Nick Riviera. Oh, who, oh, Dr. Nick? From, Dr. Nick. Is it Riviera? I don't know what it is, but uh, Dr. Nick. Who do you see? Which one Which one do you trust? I'm going Spaceman. Are you really? I think I'm going Spaceman, yeah. Because Why? at the very least, he's going to like, you know, he's going to give me some like fun pills while I'm at it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Dr. Nick might just like perform an experimental surgery that I, I might be surprised by. Okay. Yes. Well, luckily, if you want to be a hymns customer... And won't leave his wristwatch inside of me. Dr. Nick will leave his wristwatch inside of me. <laughs> the thigh bone's connected to the Green thing. Watch. The green thing's connected to my wristwatch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so luckily, with hymns, you do not get connected to Dr. Spichemin mm-hmm. or Dr. Nick. You get real doctors. <laughs> you do. Uh, you can try hymns for a month today for just $5. Uh, we'll get you started for just 5 bucks while supplies last. Prescription products are subject to doctor approval. Real doctor approval. Indeed not Dr. Nick, and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See the website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went in person to the doctor's office or pharmacy. Telemedicine is the future. Go to 4 slash 
Total Soccer ED. That's F O R H I M S. My spelling check out. It does. Dot com slash Total Soccer ED. One more time, Taylor. Forhims.com slash Total Soccer ED. Thanks, Forhims.com, uh, for sponsoring today's episode. That was my Dr. Nick. Did I do okay? It was excellent. Thank you, sir. I knew exactly, Thank you. I knew exactly who it was. I appreciate it. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Are you ready for the first I question? <laughs> In your normal voice, uh-huh. please? Yes, of course. <laughs> Andy Stone uh-huh. has the first question about the weekend action. Which young American abroad had the best start to their season? Mm-hmm. Andy says he would argue Zach Steffen, who all but solidified his spot for number one keeper at Dusseldorf, with his nine saves despite the goal against. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy is correct. <laughs> that, really? that is my answer, yes. I mean, there are many more we could talk about, but I think it is th- that when I asked Matt Herman about this, he said, like, yes, I think Zach Steffen is going to be the number one. Wasn't the new starting keeper possibly injured going into the other starting yeah. keeper injured going into the start of the season? Yes, yeah. but I think for Steffen to come in, it's, it's the sort of like the backup quarterback coming in who's maybe better and you're not sure and then they have the very good like productive week you're sort of like okay we can stick with this person and I think Zach Steffen comes in they get the result on the road and this is a Fortuna Dusseldorf side it's worth noting many picked to go straight back down in terms of relegation right. or not back down but just like they pick them to be relegated excuse me um, and I think this is a way to Josh Sargent's Verde Bremen by the way yes. Dusseldorf won 3-1 yes they did so I, I think that to me is a very productive sign of the fact that Steffen makes a couple big saves yeah. Makes a few routine saves. Yes. I thought he was uh, solid from start to finish. And to me, that is the, about as good of a way as he could go. I would also add, this is a weirdly pro-America game because Alfredo Morales uh, playing yeah. this one. I made him Portuguese for some reason. No, he did not. And then uh, Josh Sargent comes on for the final like, eight minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. And th- I know this is like the weird like Chuck Klosterman, but actually. <laughs> but I would also kind of make the argument that that result is not the worst for Josh Sargent because he does they not start this game. They lost without him him starting uh who uh the forward who started in his place uh, he pulls up quickly was osako okay. uh, the center forward does not score plays the whole game claudio pizarro comes on before josh Sargent does he also does not pizarro score is still there he's got to be 40 oh, yeah. 41 at this point so i think so final season for him and then he retires so um, he says we'll see. so he says yeah but <laughs> just that Sargent comes on and like gets some minutes means he's still in the kind of estimations in the conversation yeah but maybe because nobody else got it like nobody else of that uh of the ones i mentioned yeah scored Maybe that means that he gets a start the next time around. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. And the reason that um, a lot of the strikers didn't score mm-hmm. is Zach Steffen. What I really so I'm not good at goalkeeper analysis, but what I noticed is there are at least two saves where um, it's like you know those shots that go into the floor and bounce. Yeah. But Steffen was already had already hit the floor and was deflecting shots. Oh, like, you, you on mean the bounce. you mean the ones that like like they're shot from a little bit of distance and they like dip yeah. and bounce and bounce back up, yeah. which is the hardest one because you've got to get down but then be able to react to it after it skips. Yeah, yep. and he's, he's down so mm-hmm. early that he's not yeah. fooled by the skip. I, yeah. That made me feel like, all right, Zach Steffen, mm-hmm. all right, this could be Those good. are also easy in terms of any shot like can be easy but uh, easy to mess up because if you're trying to stand up and then you're like you're trying to collect it you can imagine having to move your hands around listers I'm moving my hands around my yeah. body like then you may may not be able to take it cleanly that's when you can spill it between your legs or spill it for somebody to come through and get the rebound so that's why you want to like get down and be able to parry it away as much as you can and he does a good job of directing it away from goal right there yeah. it is all right so all right. that's Zach Steffen is definitely so, a strong nominee okay I would say he's the I'd say he is yeah. the winner in terms of best start to the season purely because he had an unambiguously good performance yes right I think we should also talk about Sergino Dest, sure. Weston McKenney, sure. Christian Pulisic. Okay. Mostly because that's who I have notes on. Should we put them in that order as well? If you like. All sure. right. So Sergino Dest, mm-hmm. you could argue that he had the best uh, the you best could? weekend because he made his first Eredivisie start for Ajax. Yes. He played right back for Ajax as they beat Vevevevenlo 4-1. I had a good look at this. 
he wasn't bad. He didn't do anything wrong. But he also wasn't heavily involved. Yeah, he's, he's playing on semi-pro level. <laughs> kind of. I mean, I actually just – there wasn't a huge challenge for yeah. Ray, 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 and it seemed a little too easy. Yeah, you know that's what I'm saying? saying. It's like you got to up the up the, the like the skill level first you yeah, know, before just, we're going to give you credit. So it's not a big challenge, but he, he kind of like – Past whatever test there is, I think in terms of yeah. he certainly wasn't a detriment. No, I mean yeah. I, I think he he would probably be my number two choice for for best uh, okay. weekend by an American, just because again he remains in the conversation in consideration yeah. for a team that are going to competing uh, be competing in a variety of competitions. Yes, as long as he keeps performing, then there's no reason for him to not continue to perform. There we go, and there's also a good chance I think yep. of him getting national team call up, especially if uh, Berhalter sees him playing first team minutes in the Netherlands. Yes, yeah. and also hands off the Netherlands. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, there was that mention of like I'd be interested if they called right. Essentially, let's yeah. call him before they do. You want to live below sea level? <laughs> you sure? They, I think they've engineered their way out of it. I think they're they're pretty well set up. Yeah, but then they're relying on everybody else along the coast to also <laughs> engineer their way out of it. Otherwise, I'm sure England will, me- England will mess it up for them. Yeah. Um, next, guy I want to talk about is Western. McKenney uh, played for Schalke in a nil-nil draw. Your country's a laughing stock. Um, I, yeah, anyway. I do not disagree. <laughs> Weston McKenney played for Schalke in a nil-nil draw with Borussia Mönchengladbach. I paid really close attention to this because I was really interested. Schalke under David Wagner, new manager. What will McKenney's role be, etc.? Mm-hmm. His role will be in a 4-2-3-1. He's one of the two central midfielders. Even that's worth getting excited about. I mean, about. yeah. I gave a thumbs up just when I saw the lineup. I was yeah. like, yes, let's do this. Oh, he's not goalkeeper? Cool. <laughs> cool. I will take that. He's not goalkeeper slash right back slash center mid slash also support striker. Yeah. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> and he had, I don't know how much you saw, um, if you don't mind me just... Little. Okay, so do you mind me just ranting on about yep. what I saw? Um, I saw McKenney do a magnificent defensive job in that he was constantly scurrying left and right in midfield and closing down passing lanes. And you saw Borussia Mönchengladbach be like, oh, I'm going to try that pass. Oh, no number two's in the way. I'm going to yeah. try that pass. Oh, no, number two's in the way. And then when they would actually try some forward passes, McKenney was always the one stepping and winning and just winning the ball back. Mm-hmm. It was a classic defensive midfielder performance. But then when he got the ball going forward, it was a lot less impressive. Okay. There were like some like a lot of through balls that didn't come off, um, a lot of passes to teammates that like were maybe a little behind them or not quite right. Um, I would put some of this down to a Schalke problem because they seem to always have this problem of being completely toothless in attack. Well, to be fair, they did solve that by selling more of their strikers. <laughs> right? Yeah, Bruno Embolo was yeah. playing for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm-hmm. They sold him. Yeah. So it was Bergstahler starting up front yet again. Yay. Yeah. What yeah. could go wrong? The uh, answer well, is no goals. nothing but no goals. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm not blaming McKenney for that, but yeah. the fact he played in a position very similar to what he'll play for the US. He was one of the two defensive mids, but he had the freedom, more freedom to get forward than the other guy, whose name I think was Mascarell. It almost matches his partnership with Bradley. So, Mm-hmm. That's worth celebrating on its own. Mascarelle sounds like a delicious cheese. It does, right? <laughs> um, I, I would note that this is a Borussia Mönchengladbach side that many have picked to, if not be in the top four at the end of the season, then to challenge for top four spots. Okay. Schalke, not necessarily in that consideration, in yeah, that yeah. conversation, so that they're able to go out. And, and it's a, yes, it's uh, Rosa has come in for a Gladbach, so new manager, or relatively new manager, but like it's still a Gladbach side that are fairly well established, who had a strong season last year, a Schalke side that have a new manager and did not have a strong season at all. So to come out and hold Gladbach scoreless, I would yeah. say, is a sign for, a reason for optimism. So yeah, no, no draw with McKinney mm-hmm. being one of the star defensive performers in midfield yeah good to go good, good to, to go. go the other the hey other guy boy. you know you're not happy about this christian pulisic mm-hmm. made his first premier league start for chelsea yep. in the 1-1 draw with i watched the game who did they draw with leicester yes yes yeah chelsea 1-1 draw with leicester. it was confusing because they were in pink and that, <laughs> right. that did throw me off for a minute there yeah so yeah why, why did you make that noise uh the loss of possession 
I think he lost possession more than any other player on the field. I believe I'm correct in saying. I think okay. he lost possession 18 he did, times. Every time he got the ball, mm-hmm. really went at people, yeah. which had me excited. But he often didn't get past, say, Ricardo, yeah. the Leicester right back, is who he was going up against. Yeah, and Ryan and I had a slightly more extended conversation about this Chelsea team because I think Ryan is is even more pessimistic about what's going to happen with them this season. But for me, it was the kind of a uh, trail off in energy and in yeah. fitness I think across the, the board for Chelsea mark was like a cliff yeah. that they all went off yeah but it, it just it felt like they kept trying to put on the same amount of pressure but with maybe 20% less like ability <laughs> but then also as a result starting from like 5 yards further back and so kind of routinely as the game went on it just felt like Chelsea's still trying to like lay out that kind of first wave of pressure yeah. and getting it easily bypassed because they're a little bit more tired. They're not right in the position that they think they're supposed to be. So Pulisic would think he had a pass cut off and then did not, and then he had to go chasing for 20 yards. Yeah. So I think that didn't help, but I also think as Chelsea got more fatigued, even in the first half— it seemed to be fewer supporting runs across the board, so that's where I think it then became incumbent upon Pulisic, uh, Pedro, Olivier Giroud, not quite so much, but because that's not what he does, but it became incumbent on the creative players to try to create a bit more, and I think that's when things started to fall off a little bit. Yeah, so the one thing I don't feel too bad about Christian Pulisic's performance within the context of this Chelsea team Mm -hmm. is that everybody was trying stuff that wasn't coming off, right? There's a lot of kind of like weird, hurried forward passes, so even though Pulisic did lose possession a lot when he tried to dribble... So did a lot of other Chelsea players. And it's almost like it can be forgiven because it's part of the team dynamic. It's not like everybody else is playing possession and then Pulisic dribbles and loses the ball. You and, know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I would say the player who I saw lose the ball most consistently aside from Christian Pulisic, and to be fair, I was paying the most attention to him, so of course I would notice these, was Emerson, the left back. Yeah, yeah. Who, it, it seemed like Pulisic would, like, there was one sequence when like, Pulisic tries to take somebody on, the ball gets poked away, it goes to Emerson, Emerson tries to take somebody away, it gets poked away from him back to Pulisic, who tries to pass to Emerson, and the pass gets cut out, and then Emerson fouls yeah. somebody. And it was just like, that was not great, guys, that was not great. It was weirdly, for a neutral, mm-hmm. a really fun game, because Chelsea, to me, is so yep. weirdly naive in what yep. they're doing. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we'll just go at you, and I'm sure that'll work out. And sometimes it will work. Yeah. Sometimes Mason Mount goes at you and wins the ball and scores. Exactly. And sometimes maybe you can see the goal and then don't have many answers. It's going to be a weird season for it's Chelsea. It's definitely going to be a weird season. Right. So I guess it is a, like, thumbs slightly up for Christian Pulisic. They're yeah. like, it's like, it's not quite level. It's like a little bit off, uh-huh. the, off there. But um, And if you didn't see it, Willian subbed in for Pulisic yeah. in the 70th minute. Didn't look any better than Pulisic, no. so there's that. But the fact that Willian is back means there's competition across mm-hmm. the attacking three. Yeah, which hopefully uh, elevates the gameplay just a little bit. Yeah. So, buddy, I would say, yeah, Pulisic, aside from getting his first Premier League start and looking like a player that Chelsea will be looking to to help create and help create goals, but also just general opportunities and help maintain possession and yep. cause problems, I guess that is all positive. It wasn't quite as sharp as maybe we would have liked to have seen. And if you want more Pulisic talk, there's a Pulisic question coming okay. later in today's show. All right, then I will leave it alone there. And I will say Zach Steffen is my answer. Yeah, I think that's correct. Uh, next question sure. comes from Jason Norbury. Mm-hmm. Jason Norbury wants to know, What's the tactical advantage given by Sheffield United's overlapping centre-backs and what does their shape look like when they do it? Mm-hmm. This is the most fascinating tactical thing happening in the Premier League right now. It's, it's, it's surprising, baby. That's what it is. It That's is, the right. answer. It's, it's the surprise of having a centre-back. Like We saw it in the lead-up to the goal uh, for Sheffield against a Palace. Yep. That, like, so Lundstrom's goal uh, is what yeah. Sheffield United scored, 1-0 against Crystal Palace. It involves an overlapping centre-back. Yeah, yeah. but, but like, you as a defence never expect an overlapping centre-back. You expect if, if it's going to be a centre-back getting involved in the attack, it's either like the desperation, sub, subbing on a big yeah. person to go up top. And send them in the centre and aim balls at the yeah. head. Yeah. Or it's like the, um, I think of Harry Maguire doing it a lot. I think of John Stones doing it a lot, but it's that sort of 
taking the ball and driving forward 20 yards or 30 yards and then looking for a pass. But it's on the ball, making the run kind of central. And the overlapping run here from a center back is not a thing you're used to seeing. And so if you're a defense who's set up to deal with like, okay, they pass it wide, we've got that covered, but now suddenly there's an overload, yeah. it really throws off defenses. Here's what I want to do for people as well, because when I'd heard this phrase, yeah. overlapping center back, I'd heard mm-hmm. to look out for this for yeah. Sheffield United in the Premier League, but I hadn't seen it. I didn't know where they were overlapping or where they were going. Okay. So I almost want to lay this out for people visually if they haven't seen this, mm-hmm. right? So Sheffield United play what I would call a 3-5-2, fair enough. Yep. They play wing-backs, so mm-hmm. back, back three. The left centre-back is Jack O'Connell. The right centre-back is Chris Basham. And those guys will essentially, normally in a back three, those guys just stay there, right? They don't really get involved in the attack Is his too name much. actually pronounced Basham? When I say it, it I is. mean, I hope it is because that is the best name for a center back you could possibly think of. Like, Chris, bash him. <laughs> it works perfectly. He does his job. What they do, so say Jack O'Connell is the left center back. Yeah. Um, if Sheffield United have the ball on the left, Ender Stevens is the left wing mm-hmm. back. Um, normally, Ender Stevens would just be trying to run up and down that left wing himself. Suddenly, Jack O'Connell, the left center back, um, a thing that no other team in the world does, will overlap on the outside of Ender Stevens and be like a left winger. Mm-hmm. This is a centre-back. You just do not expect it at all. Um, and like you said, it's the surprise, right? The opposition is always like, what is this guy doing? Mm-hmm. This isn't supposed to no. happen. Because, because I think there's, first of all, it is that element of surprise. Centre-backs of, become wingers. That's ex- what this is, right? Exactly. But it's also that if you are, we've talked about this before, when like if you're playing a man down, if you've got a red card, that it can be really difficult to know if you're the team with the man advantage, like who you need to mark because there's always somebody free on your team. And so it feels like, oh, I guess I don't need to track. And here it's the inverse of like, if you have a centre-back overloading who has not been on that side or you're not used to and you're the right winger for Chelsea, or for Crystal Palace, you're going to be like, wait, hold on, is that mine? Do I track him? Do I track this yeah. guy? And you don't know who to stay with. And that's kind of what happens here is O'Connell makes that overlapping run and... Gets the ball and drives down the left channel. Right? Yeah, and no, and I think it's Townsend is still in at this point. Th- like, isn't quite sure, do I track the runner? Do I track the person on the ball? And kind of tries to do both. And if you're trying to do both, you're doing neither. Absolutely, yeah. And it's just the, the element of surprise confuses everybody right? yep i will put a link in the show notes so you can watch this goal if you haven't seen it because it's a great example because mm-hmm. it results in a goal right it's o'connell makes that driving run down the left he fire he like fires a low pass into i think ender stevens yep. in the end who lays it off to another midfielder midfielder takes a shot deflected yep. and then lundstrom follows up and scores yes. it absolutely causes a goal um so just to make sure we've answered jason's question tactical advantage is what surprise you said mm-hmm. um Surprise, not just the extra man, but suddenly just the unorthodox nature of it is a surprise. Yep. Um, I would. What does the shape look like when they do it? It looks like a five-three-two with an extra winger. Yes, I mean, I I would say that like once that run has happened, usually the other two center backs kind of slide over to so you don't have a just great big gigantic gap on Uh, one one third of the field, and so it, it almost looks like oh they're in a back four. But knowing that they're in a back five tells you, okay, they've sent a center back forward. Got it. I would just say the tactical advantage, the big thing for me is whenever I see wingbacks, Mm -hmm. they're isolated, right? Like, actually, we talked about the Wolves game earlier. Uh, Johnny Otto trying to go up against Wan-Bissaka on his own. He never, had a, he never had an extra guy with him, right? That's the downside of a wingback system is that the wingbacks are the only wide guys. They never get an overlap or an extra guy with them unless someone comes out of position to come and help them. This kind of solves that by giving you uh, two players going down one flank. We've also made a mistake here, I think, uh, w- which is kind of important. Did we say that he gives it to Stevens? Yeah, he fires it into Edna Stevens. He he gives it to McGoldrick, remember, who drops all the way back the forward, who's come all oh, yeah, the way then, back. But then McGoldrick gives it to uh, maybe someone else and then and then to O'Connell. But, th- but this is the key point for me is that like 
usually what happens is if you have got a wing back who's out there, they're isolated, and the only way to give them support is that another attacker has to come all the way back. So if you remove the overlapping center back from this equation, now if you're just a normal team, McGoldrick the forward has to come all the way back to help, and everybody now is kind of coming back from the attacking positions to help out and support. And instead, what like Sheffield can do is, yeah, they can send somebody back, but they've got an overlapping run that yeah. gives you support there, but you can send the runner who is where the overlap is going. Now they go central, and you suddenly create mismatches all over the place. Because, because you're adding a wide attacker when it didn't seem like that would be possible short of bringing one of your attackers back. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so I'll put a link in the show notes again so you can watch this for yourself and hopefully all this will make sense when you see it in action. Hopefully. Right? Hopefully. When, once you see O'Connell charging down the left, you'll be like, okay, I see why this works. When, when <laughs> O'Connell goes charging down the wing? When O'Connell goes charging down the wing. All right, how about uh, one more question before the next ad? That works for me. Next question is from Stuart Colley. Mm-hmm. Stuart Colley wants to know, are you concerned about Tim Weyer not starting for Lille this weekend? Uh, he says versus Nance, but I think it was actually against Amiens. Um, was it the early red that kept him on the bench until the 84th minute? Um, I am not concerned. Me and Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but I, I think it's also, he's he's still, lest we forget, a very young player. He's 19. Exactly. He is 19. So we shouldn't expect him to start every game. I think the only way that he is starting every single game is if he's playing lights out and totally locking down that one side of the field. And I don't think he did that in the first game. He did. That was against Nantes. Yeah. He wasn't really involved. Um, the, the center forward, mm-hmm. as a young Nigerian center forward, Osimhen um, scored yeah. two goals. Where was not involved at all. No. And so, I mean, I, I think if he is starting every single game regardless of performance, then that means there's not enough depth at Leo and there's not enough, like, like behind him to push him. It's what you talked yeah. about with Pulisic, that like Willian is back now. There's one more wide player. He has to keep performing, otherwise he loses that spot. Here, it, I don't even know if Wea has lost that spot, but maybe it's going to be more of a rotational thing, and it's a reminder that he's got to kind of earn that position. Mm-hmm. But again, 19 years old, he should have to earn that position. And the other player's name is Yusuf Yazidzi. He's yeah. a 22-year-old uh, Turkish player who didn't start the first game. Right. Wea didn't do well in that spot. It's like a second striker spot mm-hmm. right, that he's playing in. So if Wea doesn't do well, then you, you, bring, in, uh, you bring in Yazidzi, right? Yeah, exactly. Thing is, they lost 1-0. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily like it all mm-hmm. worked out when they didn't so, play Tim Wea. Sergeant situation. So I'm not concerned because the season's long. We're two games in and he's played, he's played in both games. Started yeah. the first game, got six minutes in the second game. I mean, and then the final point here that I think is, is worth noting is that it's still like he moves, he moved on a permanent deal to Lille. Like, Lille bought yep. him. They want him in their squad. Mm-hmm. This is not, and I think maybe where some of, like, maybe Stewart's anxiety comes from or some other folks out there's anxiety is, is this another PSG situation where he starts a couple games, gets some minutes, and then he falls off oh, and ends yeah, up playing with the youth team. Isn't it last year he had the early season yeah. couple of games? But he had, PSG. like, two appearances in, like, the first three games. Because everyone like, was this. still tired and coming back mm-hmm. from the World Cup, yep. right? Yes. Not, the same this, not the same this time. Neymar is still tired and coming back from the World Cup somehow. <laughs> um, but, yes, and so I think that, like, it's worth noting that even after not having the strongest first game, he's still on the bench and, like, is still very much in consideration. Yep. All right, final thing I do want to note from this game, just a bit, of, it's almost like a little bit of trivia that I spotted. Do you know who Amiens' number 10 was? Mm-mm. I was accidentally looking at the wrong team Danny when Alves. I was seeing. My answer now is the number 10 for any team is Danny Alves because he does that apparently. He does do that for Sao Paulo, yeah, right? Exactly. I heard he did that this weekend. Gael Kakuta. Woo! Could you guess how old Gael Kakuta is now? This is, by the way, if, if listeners don't know, there was a massive controversy, right, where Man United and Chelsea were 26 years trying old. to sign this young player. He's 28. Oh! <sighs> Okay. That was so long ago, that means, right? That, was that controversy right, was ages ago. That was like ago. right when we started the show. That was my math on that one. And he was, 
was 2009 or 2008 around then? I can't even remember, but I, th- I thought he was 16. Maybe he was a little bit older at I that point. I think the actual incident happened a couple of years before we started the show, but uh, the legal case rumbled on and is. on and on and on. That would right? make sense. Until right. 2009 when we started Dota Soccer Show. All right. Gail Kakuta. <laughs> Not yet 30. Not yet 30, but no longer a teenager. I feel old. <laughs> well, so does he. All right, still uh, some questions to get to. Uh, but, but first, we should talk about today's sponsor. I don't have yes. any Gael Kakuta jokes, so I'm going to jump to today's sponsor, Away Days. Our returning champion, Away Days. We love Away Days. We if do. you've never heard of Away Days, it's an independent soccer clothing brand based out of Boston. And, and Away Days does pay us based on how many times we say Away Days in a show, Away Days, right? If, if so, then we're doing very we're doing well right. Away Days. Yeah. We're doing all right. Thanks, Away Days. <laughs> so Away Days has its own products, right? Mm-hmm. They sell T-shirts and beanies and hoodies and all kinds of things with the very cool Away Days logo on it. They also sell the world famous... World famous. I'm going to say world famous because it's across the world. And they're selling, you know, clubs from around the world, so it makes sense. Mystery kits. Tell me about the mystery kit. The mystery kit. What does it do? The very basic version... Big question mark on it, like a Riddler thing? Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, cool. You pay $25 Mm -hmm. or less with the TSS discount, um, and you get... A mystery kit. And the only thing you know is it won't be a big, big team. It won't be Arsenal. It won't be... It might be Wolves. I don't know if they're big anymore. It won't be Real Madrid. It won't be Barcelona. Um, Do you think that's how it works? I don't know if Wolves have elevated themselves to beyond, to beyond mystery kit status. All right. We'll, we'll see. But you could, for example, get an Amiens jersey mm-hmm. or a Lille jersey or a uh, Besiktas jersey. You, you know could. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. So it's going to be a mystery kit from around the world for $25. Right. Yeah. And, and so you should support Away Days because that product and all the other products they offer are pretty amazing and People pretty cool. People love it. People yeah. love the surprise of just getting it. I mean, I love the surprise. Yeah. When I received it, you open it up, you don't know what's going to be in there. Mine and, was uh, Rail Aviado. Yeah. And, and, and I want to pause there to say like – I was practice two weeks ago. Yes, you did. Oh, wait. No. Why, why, do, I, why do I know that you did that though? I think it's maybe photo? no. I think you just maybe mentioned that you wore your Oviedo jersey. <laughs> such was your pride, um, but it's but it, for me, I think the thing that's really inter- like or really cool about the mystery kit, aside from getting a thing that you don't know what it is sent to your door, which could be hit or miss depending on the yeah. situation, um, is that like in the United States, at least here in Richmond, as an example, like if you want a jersey, you can order it online or you can go to like a couple of the soccer shops here, but you're getting. Like, probably Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Dortmund, Bayern Munich. Like, you're wolves. getting those huge teams. Sure, Wolves. Why not? Probably not Wolves. But it's it's difficult to go somewhere and buy a soccer jersey that isn't one yes. of the most established clubs in the world. Right. And again, in stock, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and again, you can order it online, but then you're just ordering it online. Whereas with Away Days, you're getting a mystery kit from a club that you maybe didn't know existed, or suddenly you're like, oh yeah, Gel Kakuta plays for them. I'm excited <laughs> to watch them again. You can find out new things. There are also a couple of variations on the mystery kit. There's the Women's World Cup mystery kit, which mm-hmm. is $50. That's exactly what it sounds like. All right. You'll get a mystery kit. From the Women's World Cup. Do, do you know, uh, forgive me for putting you on the spot here, is that men's or women's, or does it, is it only for women's? In terms sizes? of the fit, yeah. I do not know. All right, we should, I, I've clicked on it. Let's find out. Okay. I want to know now, because there were some pretty solid jerseys in there this summer. Please note this product is a women's size replica jersey okay. sizing. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be uh, a women's fit, women's World Cup jersey. All right. Well, yep. maybe I'll just buy triple XL and see what happens. <laughs> you can also get a 2018 slash 19 mystery kit for people who want more up-to-date jerseys. That is $40. That's okay. the mystery kit special. All of this is on the website at awaydaysfootball.com when you go there. All right. But if you don't want to pay full price, Daryl. Why would you? I mean, why would you? You use the discount code TSS. What do you get? 
TSS, you get 15% off the cost of anything that you buy at awaydaysfootball.com. All right, TSS for 15% off. Thank you very much to Away Days for sponsoring today's episode, providing people with super cool mystery kits and uh, providing people with tickets to games is what we learned this weekend. So Away Days have been running a sort of contest online, Mm -hmm. right? I think you have to like retweet or subscribe. You'll see if you you follow them on on Twitter, you'll, you'll see what it is. And I think the prize is things like... $25 $25 to go towards any game that you want and yeah. we met someone who had won yeah. the prize it was Elliot yeah. um, at the at River City 93 the Richmond Kickers podcast we watched some of the game uh, with Elliot this past we weekend saw him, we saw him and his co-host uh, yeah. jumping up and down with Kickaroo yes, uh, ce- celebrating emphatically I so tried to get my camera out to get it <laughs> I know we ran out of t- we both did and then we were both sad we enjoyed we the moment it. too much yes, and then it we was did. over maybe yes. it's better that we enjoyed it in the moment yes. but anyway Elliot said that he had won and he got $25 that he spent uh, towards the tickets for him and his wife to, to see the Kickers that, there we are that yeah. so Away Days doing cool stuff like that. Which does, So thank you again to Away Days. Uh, it does remind me that Daryl and I are going to do a similar setup where all you have to do uh, is if you're a millionaire, you give us your bank account number, uh, your routing number, your social sure. security number, obviously, and your birth date and your yep. maybe mother's maiden name. Yep. Just send that information to us. And we'll send you $25. We send you a certificate <laughs> saying thank you and don't check your account for a couple of days. That's what we say. It's nice. The Away Days deal sounds better. <laughs> You think? So it's awaydaysfootball.com. It depends on your perspective. <laughs> Link will be in the show notes. Yeah. And the code is TSS for 15% off. Thank you to Away Days for sponsoring today's show. Shall we do some more questions, Mr. Grove? Yeah. I feel like I keep asking them. That's you fine. okay with that? You can ask this one. All right. I'll ask the next one. Okay. Then the next one mm-hmm. comes from Lance Southwick. Lance Southwick asks, how many minutes slash goals slash assists do you project for Pulisic at Chelsea this season. Mm-hmm. Second part of the question, will that be better or worse than Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig? I mean, I don't expect Tyler Adams to score as many goals as Christian Pulisic. That said, I don't know how many goals Christian Pulisic will score, but just given yeah. the positions. Um, I, then, assists. I don't see Adams getting as many assists as Pulisic does either. Just I mean, Adams I've plays... seen those through balls. Oh, right, but you've seen that through ball, right? So he plays you a defensive midfield position. You know Pulisic's a winger yeah. or attacking midfielder. Uh-huh. He's going to get more assists than Tyler Adams. He will. I think Tyler Adams is also not helped by the fact that he's returning from injury with a new coach uh, like in charge. So I yeah. think he's going to have to... Did I say Pulisic or Adams? Sorry, just to clarify. Just? Yeah. Well, let's. I'm assuming you're talking about Tyler I, Adams. I'm talking about Tyler Adams. Yeah. I just want to make sure I said that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Adams, that's the situation he finds himself in. So he will need to come back and... Press conference today said he's two to three weeks from yeah. return. But we've also kind of heard that before. That's Okay, I'm glad you said that because I was wondering that as well. It does feel like one of those things where we're going to keep checking and seeing him not in the squad and not yep. in the squad. And then maybe he makes like... A cameo with like like for five minutes somewhere, and we're like, okay, I guess so. So that is another thing to consider in terms of like if you're talking total minutes, yeah. And he's out for another month, then maybe he doesn't play as many. Speaking of total minutes, mm-hmm. right? I did some calculations. Yeah. Are you ready for this? Um, okay. So in terms of um, this is Pulisic specifically, mm-hmm. total minutes available to him based on some like back of a cigarette packet uh-huh. calculations, not literally because I don't smoke. Can um, I take a shot in the dark here? At how many minutes, total minutes are available? Uh-huh. Yeah. 4,200 minutes. 4,500 is what oh, I calculated. Okay. And here's how I calculated it. And obviously, this is not exact. 38 Premier League mm-hmm. games, right? Yep. Yes. Um, I was up by three and a half games. I calculated eight Champions League games. Okay. So six group stage games, two knockout, two round of 16 games, and they're out in the round of 16. Why did I think that you'd only play six games in the Champions League? What's wrong with me? Yeah. All right. right? So if you go anyway. through, then you get two more. I'm still annoyed by getting 300 minutes off. So anyway, yeah, Champions I'm with you. League games. So, so it's 3,420 minutes for the Premier League. Mm-hmm. I calculated 720 minutes available for the Champions League. Um, I also calculated FA Cup, maybe they come in in the third round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, 
quarterfinals, maybe. It's like a, just a guess of where Chelsea could go in the FA Cup. So that's four games in the FA Cup, uh, 90 minutes each. That's 360. So total available. I'm assuming he wouldn't play in the League Cup, right? Maybe kids will play in the League Cup, the EFL Cup. 4,000. Right. My honest response to that is it depends on how badly the season is going. That's true. <laughs> that's if true. it's going really poorly, maybe he plays. Okay, so but excluding the EFL Cup, yep. I went 4,500 minutes available for Christian Pulisic. Mm-hmm. And then my rough guess, again, is he's going to play two-thirds of the games. Okay. That so, like, that's a rough approximation, so that's 3,000 minutes. Then I factored in maybe a couple of hamstring injuries here and there, 2,500 minutes. That's what I predict for Christian Pulisic uh, this season. That is kind of sad because I feel like it should be more if it's 2,500 out of 4,500, and yeah. yet I think you're about absolutely correct. Between squad rotation yeah. um, and injuries, yep. possible injuries, mm-hmm. 2,500. Yep. I mean, and that, and I kind of think that that is close to best case scenario. So if, if it ends up being 3,200 and he gets some goals and some assists, yeah. I think that's pretty solid. But 2,500, I would say, is around like the minimum I would be okay with him playing yep. this season. And then I do think, though, it will be more important for the goals and assists numbers to uh, okay. to jump up there. All right. Well, before we get into goals and assists, because sure. we've also done some research into that, 2,500 minutes, if we say that's put six minutes, mm-hmm. is that more or less than Tyler Adams? Because we kind of assume if Adams comes back he will be a regular in the Leipzig mm-hmm. first 11 like he was towards the end of last season. But it depends how long it takes him to come back, it right? Does. We essentially don't know. We essentially don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and we're not factoring in friendlies here, right? Because no. there's going to be like two or three friendlies for RB in like January when they have their winter, oh, right. their winter break. But I doubt that that Oh, there are fewer much. games in the Bundesliga. Yeah. That's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. There's only 18 teams, so what, it's a 34-game season? Yeah. It's tough, man, because I, so again... That's 360 minutes that I just, Adam's just got rubbed off. Exactly. I just don't know how... <laughs> long it's going to take for him to come back and that really is the big but I would say this both of them staying fit for the whole season if both of them had approached this with like a decent preseason both fully fit on match day one my answer would be Tyler Adams I think Tyler Adams gets more minutes even with potentially fewer competitions and fewer games to play I think he still gets more because he's more established in the Leipzig midfield than Pulisic is established in the Chelsea attack I think so I think so All right. okay in terms of goals and assists we're just going to say blanket Pulisic's going to get more goals and assists than Adams right I mean I hope so but how many do we project? And I want to give you the data from last season. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Eden Hazard. <laughs> I'm oh, giving, oh, good. I'm giving you like, the wingers and attacking midfielders. Exactly the same assists. player. So, let's do it. Eden Hazard got 16 goals mm-hmm. and 15 assists. I'll put in my notes in parentheses, Hazard not normal. No. So, we don't. We just Mm-mm. discount that because Eden Hazard is a very, very special player. All right. Willian last year. Do you know the only player, uh, match of the day taught me this one. Do you know the only player who's created more chances than Eden Hazard since, I think, August of 2018? It will make you happy, but it's not a player that you'd expect. It will make me happy? In the sense that he's English. Oh, okay. James Madison? Correct. Yes. Good job. He found those, the Chelsea stretch defense mm-hmm. that we talked about, like where the defensive yep. line is a little too far away from the field. Madison found those guys. Yes. Yeah. So I said that to and say. And saw Jeremy Clarkson on Twitter, so. That's even better. Yes. CSS player of the week. <laughs> Oh, he's going to go for so much money. Um, but I would also, but I say that also to illustrate how like that's only one player did more than Aiden Hazard did in terms of chance creation. So okay, keep yeah. that in mind as we answer this question. I will. Okay, so William. 16 goals, you said 16 for 16 goals, 15 assists for Hazard last year. <laughs> so yeah, but we can't hold Pulisic to that standard, right? That no. would be ridiculous. William got three goals and six assists. Okay. William, three goals, six assists. Pedro got eight goals and two assists. Okay. Yeah. Hudson Adoy got just the one assist, but he barely played. He only played towards the end of the season, so we're not really counting him. What what is the minimum number you would be okay with for goals and assists for Christian Pulisic this season? Not even what do you like hope he gets, what yeah. would be the best. But like I, I, I think that if he Three produces goals, five assists. You think that's it? 
Because I, I that's have, the minimum I'd be happy with. I would hope he gets more. I think it comes down to what the actual expectations are for this season for Chelsea fans. Because if it is the case that like they know it's not going to be as strong of a season, we couldn't sign players. It's Frank Lampard. Then maybe there's less pressure on him. But I have a feeling that if it's three goals and five assists, that might not be good enough to justify yeah. that price tag right away. I've just realized as well. Willian's numbers seem low, and Pedro's numbers, his goals is pretty good, but his assists seem low. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wonder if it's because everything went through Hazard. It's yep. almost like he was. If you think of it like a dinner table, he was greedy and ate at most of everybody else's yeah. dinner. I, I would you know want- what I'm saying? So maybe it'll be more evenly distributed. And so Pulis, I've gone for four goals, eight assists, is my guess. I was about to say three goals, eight assists. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll, go, I'll go even more optimistic then, since I think yeah. I tend to be pessimistic about Pulisic. I'm going five goals and at least eight assists. Okay, that sounds pretty good. All right. he, was, he, had, he has the one assist in the Super Cup, right? We're not counting that, maybe? But it's evidence that he can... Create a I did you factor that into your minutes? Is no, it 4,590 minutes that oh, he could have played? I didn't think about that. And then it went to extra time? Or did they go straight to penalties? I can't remember. Okay. Um, but he also got a goal disallowed, right? There was yeah. a goal disallowed for offside. It was actually it's a true. really good goal. It right. suggested... Remember, this is against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So it suggests that he can do that against Premier League opposition, which gives me some hope that he's going to put right. decent numbers up. Right. You're, you're right. I may be just f- putting too much emphasis on the first two games of the season. Yeah. But yes, I'm hoping for lots of minutes... Uh, a few goals and lots of assists. So what's our final? What's our final number then? I'm going five and I'll go nine assists. Five and nine. Five goals, nine assists. Yeah, and t- around right. twenty five to twenty five hundred to three thousand minutes. All right, and we'd be pretty happy with that as a yep. first season in English football. And then he turns twenty one, and then mm-hmm. next year he gets better, and away we go. Yeah, I like that. Then I said like Timothy Way is really young, forgetting that Christian Pulisic is a year older than him. Yep, exactly. That. Yep. Yeah, he's twenty years old, mm-hmm. and he's starting for Chelsea in the Premier League. Right. Ready well, for the next question? S- yeah, since uh, you've been asking questions, I'll go yep. ahead and ask you this one. Uh, Lucas Newton asks. Why does Unai Emery start Lacazette and Aubameyang so rarely together? Why wouldn't you want your best players on the field at the same time? So I would say, I went back and looked. Lacazette and Aubameyang started together this weekend. Yep. Um, who did Arsenal play? Burnley. Burnley. This weekend. Um, Lacazette was the centre forward. Aubameyang was on the right wing in a sort of 4-2-3-1. Um, last week against Newcastle, Aubameyang started up top. Lacazette did not start. It was Mkhitaryan and Reese Nelson on the wings. My guess is that when you're against a team that's going to sit deep and you're going to have a lot of the ball and it's all about attacking, like, say, Burnley, Burnley mm-hmm. sit deep, it makes sense to start them together. Yep. One of them has to play on the wing because of the 4 2 3 one, mm-hmm. but you can start both of them because you yep. can have attacking wingers, right? Yeah. When you're against a team that poses, theoretically, poses a counter-attacking threat, like mm-hmm. Newcastle at least did last year. I'm not sure they will this year under Steve Bruce, but maybe when they play Newcastle, yeah. you can't play what is essentially a striker on the wing because you want someone who offers a bit more going in the defensive direction. I mean, so that is my guess of why Emery, as why Emery doesn't start them together all the time. I mean, you said that a team's playing on the counter. I would say against stronger opposition, that is the kind of, like, look at, again, going back to the initial conversation of the show, look at Manchester United. If you have Marcus Rashford, who's yeah. very focused on the attack, you leave that right back exposed. That right back, we go. it seems like there's a decent chance it's going to be Maitland-Niles, who's very young and still mm-hmm. kind of figuring it out. So, like, that feels like a big gamble against a team that can attack down that left flank and cause you problems. So you kind of can only do it against, yeah, teams like yep. Burnley who are going to be sitting very, very deep. And then in a very basic sense, uh, I don't think Emery that often plays two up top. Mm-hmm. So you don't get two strikers. Right. One of them, either Lacazette or Aubameyang, if one of them plays central striker, one of them has to be like an attacking mm-hmm. winger, right? Yep. And there's, there's no choice. Yeah. I mean, unless maybe one of them becomes a goalkeeper. <laughs> Try it that way, we see what happens. It's very, it's very possible. One note on Arsenal. I don't know if you and Ryan talked about it because we were recording this. We, we, not like after. I, think we, I think I mentioned Arsenal. Okay, it's it. worth mentioning. From what I saw, yep. Danny Ceballos mm-hmm. playing in like central midfield yep. is going to be absolutely Wearing key number eight, being number 10. Arsenal. Yes, he was so 
calm and composed on the ball, so so easily evaded pressure from everybody and then picked out incredible passes. Um, he looks like a Real Madrid player, is what I can say about him. <laughs> and he's playing for Arsenal. So, Real Madrid from like, like not last season, Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah. Season before, <laughs> like, Real Madrid, that well, type of player. Doing well, Real Madrid. Gotcha. Great, great player for Arsenal, yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to be fun. Yeah. Arsenal are going to be fun. I'm excited. I watched a bit of the Burnley game, but not enough to feel comfortable talking about it uh, with <laughs> Ryan, but that will be a team that maybe I need to dedicate some time to watching uh, next weekend. Arsenal or Burnley? Yes, mostly <laughs> Arsenal. I'll be watching Burnley because they'll be defending against Wolves. Yes, they will. Yes, <laughs> they will. Another question for you, Daryl. Uh, yes. What do you make, asks Dan Vaughn, of Major League Soccer clubs banning anti-fascist displays at matches? Isn't this a bad look? Don't like it, and yes. Um, so if people don't know, we've already answered this question, mm-hmm. but it was when we did a crossover episode with the Cooligans, and we answered it on the Cooligans part of the episode. So I'm guessing not every TSS listener has heard our thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also say, before you become one of those stick-to-sports people, yep. this is a question from a listener. It's actually Dan Vaughan who runs Protagonist Soccer, mm-hmm. which is a great website about lower league soccer. Um, and it also, this has entered into, it's crossed over from politics into soccer because it's a major league soccer issue, yeah. right? So don't get mad at us for talking about this. This is now a soccer oh, issue. Also, I don't care. Also, we don't care because <laughs> like, it's our show. Yeah. We talk about whatever we want. Exactly. <laughs> So there's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I so I refuse to talk about uh, uh, cricket, that sport that you theoretically enjoy. That. That's because you don't understand it. That's correct. <laughs> England won the World Cup, by the way. They did? Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if people don't know, the situation in Major League Soccer is they have said no politics in the stadium, mm. right? No political displays in the stadium. Aside from when we um, wear camo jerseys. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, right. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. But in the past few weeks, um, there have been just people taking banners into like a Seattle game and an Atlanta game yeah. that say things like, uh, we're against fascism. Yeah. This is a no-Nazi zone. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah. Those, a lot of those TFOs and banners and flags have been confiscated by uh, staff at the grounds. Mm-hmm. And some people have been banned, given like stadium bans, yep. uh, for contravening an MLS rule mm-hmm. about no political speech. Right. Uh, my stance on this, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm, I'm guessing we're on the same page, is that by refusing to take a side uh, when one of the sides is fascism, MLS is somewhat complicit in allowing fas- fascism to thrive more than it should. Um, I don't disagree with any of your sentiment. I disagree with that a little bit only to say that I think I wouldn't like – how do I say this? Basically, I think Major League Soccer is establishing a rule that allows them to exist within their sort of like, well, we have this rule that says we can. And yes, we're the ones who did it. We've talked about this before. Like, So I think it gives them in their mind a theoretically safe zone to operate in. I don't think that necessarily means that they're like refusing to pick one or they are inherently picking one over the other. But I think it gives that opportunity by failing to support one over the other. Mm-hmm. And my bigger frustration with it is that like it's a time when you should – Kind of take that side, take that stance, but also like in not taking it, you do sort of disenfranchise large groups uh, of your fan base. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I'd also say the no politics thing kind of makes my muscles were tensed that whole time. (laughs) I would say the no politics thing makes sense Mm -hmm. when politics are quite normal, right? Yeah, and I could see if you didn't want things in the stadium that were like um, banners saying. Taxes should be lower yeah. or spend more on infrastructure yeah. or like even impeach a president. Like mm-hmm. you, maybe you don't want that political stuff coming into the stadiums. But this is a different issue. When there are people out there who are racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, white nationalist, you really do have to 
take a side in terms of letting people speak out against that, especially when most of your fan base is against that kind of thing. Um, and by, by having a blanket policy that doesn't let them express anti-fascist views, you're sort of like creating a space for fascism. Uh, yes, I, I don't disagree with that. That that the sigh was more frustration of like, but you're also just you're very much opening yourself up to hypocrisy because mm-hmm. I mean what I was saying earlier is like you have stuff where you support the troops and whether you like it or not, that's Pride Month. There are people who see that as a political statement. Yeah, like Pride Month, exactly. Another one where though it is not like I support this elected official who's gay or not gay, like you're still making a choice. Mm-hmm. And so to then say like, well, on this one though, we don't know about that one. No, like we avoid politics. Again, it feels like you're trying to take the safe route at a time when taking the safe route is the very much the easiest way out and also not really that safe. Instead, it's just you sort of being cowards is, I, I guess, what I it comes down to that. for me. Yeah. And yeah. I also think Pride, like Pride Month and yeah. all that, is the model that MLS should follow where, to me, Pride is not a political thing, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not advocating for specific laws. It's just literally Pride in LGBTQT. Right, yes. LGBTQ. And here, okay, I'm glad you. You're saying this. it's an ethical issue, it's a moral issue, as opposed to a political issue. It is, but I would add this though, which I think is is I guess what I'm trying to figure out in my head, and I think I've landed on now is like, but it frustrates me because if you're gonna like have pride jerseys, that doesn't excuse you from like other obligations that you have. Just having like rainbow numbers on the back doesn't mean like we did it. Like yeah, you yeah. still got to kind of walk the, walk the walk, talk the talk, uh-huh. as opposed to make money off of new jerseys. So I guess to me, it's more about like and if you really a suggestion that there's more of the latter going on. Exactly. So it, yeah. it's, in my opinion, it's like if you're going to endorse certain things, then like but then be like, well, no, we can't go too far. It's just like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. You, ca- you cannot say like, yes, we're pro this, but also you shouldn't be pro that. And no, we can't have this. Like, I, I understand that it's easy to have a uniform law because then you can enforce it uniformly but we don't live in uniform times exactly yeah I, I mean they're, they're dangerous times we're yeah. in danger of slipping into yes. like the rise of white nationalism mm-hmm. I mean I wouldn't it's not a high percentage no. chance but it's a chance mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying yes I, I mean sure I mean, I, I'm really it's more of a like I, that's a whole separate conversation for me about how I feel like sometimes we're we are driven apart by like very small minorities that get a lot of the attention and yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot more of common sense folks very much in the middle who mm-hmm. just kind of want to be buddies that's my feeling <laughs> and they're at MLS games yeah and I'm aware that I say that from a very privileged perspective so I'm not trying to d- dismiss that at all I just say that uh, yeah Major League Soccer needs to step up and also uh, if you're looking for a great song you should listen to Impeach the President by the Honey Drippers <laughs> It's sampled on every song ever. So listen to that song. It's great. <laughs> can I make one final point on this? Uh, mm. The point I made about Pride is that, you know, it's not necessarily a political thing. You can just say it's an ethical, yep. moral thing of mm. just being on the right side. Um, MLS could have easily have interpreted the original, like, anti-fascism mm-hmm. flags in that same way, right? It's not advocating for a specific party or a specific piece of legislation. It's just saying we're, we're against the people who are intolerant. I mean, they had to Google. I, I think that's what it comes down to for yeah. me. It's like to, to, to find out what that flag means. So the Iron Front flag yeah. you're talking about. And for those who don't know, the Sorry, Iron Front. Sorry, I should have said that, yeah. Yeah, the Iron Front in the 30s was the organization which opposed the Nazis. Yes. Literally the original um, anti-fascist. And I'm using the word anti-fascist in a very specific way, meaning just being against fascism. Yeah. 
And and I'm saying that to find out what that meant and all the history behind it, we had to Google, yeah. which means it was not this overtly political flag that needed to be removed. It was not an expletive about the president, even though I would maybe endorse that too. But, uh, it <laughs> but was, I would be maybe okay with Emily saying that's political speech. Yeah. Like maybe that's not. But worth but having. but a flag that has a symbol on it that you have to then do some research to figure out to yeah, me yeah. is not inherently this like offensive political thing that must be policed. One thing I have enjoyed is people subverting that by having the Iron Front flag. But with like three axes for the timbers, yeah. or like ve- like things replacing the three arrows in like a yeah. in a way where it's a little workaround. Yeah. I'm not sure if people are getting away with that or not, but I really hope they are. And I want to pre- preemptively add this in terms of getting away with stuff that I know that the counterpoint to my like iron iron fronts. Like, oh, you don't have to know. You have to Google. The counterpoint to that is like, yeah, but then you have like the hidden covert uh, white supremacist racist uh, images that you can sort of like display because people might not know until they Google it. And like it's a slippery slope of what happens. And to me, like my answer is always to parrot John Oliver. Like, where does it stop? It stops somewhere. Yeah. And it's a common sense thing of like, no, we've, we've looked what that is. That is definitely offensive. Get yeah, it out. It, oh, yeah. Slippery yeah. slope is always the worst, the, yeah. the dumbest argument. Mm-hmm. It's like saying that there's no stopping it ever. Right. Right. Yeah. There is stopping it. There's stopping it. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and before anyone emails us and says, hey, if you guys are going to talk politics on the show, I'm going to stop listening. Don't waste your time with that email. Just nope. stop listening if you want to stop listening. I mean, you, won't, you won't change our minds. Y- you won't. No. And if, if a three-minute conversation, uh, what, in our like – we were in our second yeah. hour of this show. It's a very small percentage of the audio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put it that way. Just hit fast forward a few times. You'll be fine. There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll put a trigger warning for you um, in the show notes. Will we? No. Okay. Okay. Final question of today. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to yep. move on to talk some transfer market stuff? Jacob Stolzenbach. Jacob Stolzenbach wants mm-hmm. to know – Will Jaden Sancho become Dortmund's highest ever transfer? And for comparison, Jacob says um, Usman Dembele was roughly £125 million. I looked into it. It was €105 million Euros with £40 million of potential add-on euros. How? How was that the figure? Barcelona really wanted it. I guess. Do you know why? Because they just lost Neymar and yeah. they were trying to prove a point. Is that how I guess it so. I feel like there are other points that could have been proven. Uh, with that said, I, I still think that is like an artificially high number. For Dembele? Uh, yes. Yeah. I still think, yes, he ends up costing more. Really? And I think it's because... More than 105 or more than 145 million euros? Mm, certainly more than 105. You know what? Dembele's not performing at Barcelona. Mm. I would guess a lot of those add-ons don't get met. Yeah, that's probably true. So there's that. Let's call it 105. I mean, that said, I think they're like like with Anthony Martial, the add-ons were like if he plays 20 games, if he plays for France. Like it was very low-hanging fruit okay. in terms of the add-ons. I don't know. But they may have been like an extra 20 if – He wins you, the World Cup. Yeah, something like that. Oh, which he did. So there you go. Um, but I think the biggest reason for me is because Jaden Sancho is – English. Oh. And I think right there, tack on some pounds. So if he goes back to England, <laughs> which he will, where all the money is, where it is, and where English players are uh, more highly valued because yes. you need a certain number of like mm-hmm. homegrown players in your squad. Yeah. That's why you think some English team will pay big, big money. Yeah. I mean, if he has the season he had last season, where last season, obviously, the breakthrough one, this year, the sophomore season, where if he kind of continues to perform, then it's not a fluke. It might be the scoremore season. Yes. I don't know if you saw the game, mm-hmm. but uh, Dortmund beat Augsburg 4-1. Oh, yeah. It was 1-1 at half time. Jaden Sancho scored the goal mm-hmm. and made it 2-1. It's a really yeah. nice outside of the foot, really confident finish. He also had the beautiful assist where yeah. he left defenders for dead to make it... Uh, I think four one, yeah. So or three one. I can't remember one of the one of the one of the, a goal and assist. Basically, he's on the same track he was last year, and Augsburg defenders looked absolutely terrified of Jaden Sancho every time he got the ball. Yep. All signs point to more goals. I mean, and I could see an argument for 
I mean, literally any club in England in the Premier League trying to sign Jadon Sancho. Every single one, I think, could use him. Man City at the end of the season. Maybe they want to reinforce the wings. Maybe they want to bring back an academy player. Yeah. Man United could use some reinforcement on the wings. Spurs probably will need some as well. Maybe Liverpool will sell somebody they need it. So I, I think, you're, and Liverpool did not spend much this summer, so they'll have money to spend. So it feels like for the Englishness of him, that's <laughs> going to be appealing, but then that's going to cost more money. The fact that they're bringing him back to England, it's a much more marketable star. And then on top of that... He's that, an England international as well. Yeah. yeah. And then also that there's precedent. That if we're talking about a club who their record transfer, like uh, like their record sale, sale was $30 million, then suddenly a jump from 30 to 130 is a huge jump. But if you already have the precedent of, yeah, Dembele was 125 million pounds is the number we have here, so I'm going with it. It's easier for Dortmund to be like, well, no, he was that, and it's a couple years later. We want more than that. Otherwise, we'll keep him. Uh, Here's some other arguments for Mm -hmm. why uh, he might go for a crazy amount of money, like, say, 150 million euros. Um, His contract runs through June 2022. That's decent for them. There's no way that anyone's going to be like, oh, we'll let that year run out. We'll try and get him for free. I mean, also, he's young, so there'd be a transfer fee anyway. Um, So, yeah, 2022. But he's also in the prime prime contract point for, like, it's too far away to wait it out. But it's it's not close enough to be, like, final year of contract slash half that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's not going to happen. Jao Felix performed in Portugal, arguably, not even arguably, a weaker league than the Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. Went to Atletico Madrid for 126 million euros. He's so what, 19? Similarly, I think so. Similarly, like precocious yeah. teenager that he was tore it up this weekend, by the he way. And then also, no, he did no, not tear anything literally either. So that's good. <laughs> he may have torn up some opposition defenders. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Jao Felix, as the example, 126 million euros after playing in Portugal. Yeah. So, tearing up the Bundesliga. I mean, shots fired in Portugal. Tearing up the Bundesliga mm-hmm. and playing lots of international football for England. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think Jaden Sancho is going for a lot of money. There and I look go. forward to him probably wearing a Manchester United jersey for too much money. One thing someone might mention is that Manchester City um, have a buyback clause. Mm-hmm. They do not. Yep. There is a quote from uh, Michael Zork, the, uh, I guess you would call him technical director, sporting director at Dortmund. He oversees all the transfers. Um, Man City have like a matching offer. Mm-hmm. Right. A right to a matching offer. So that what this means is if Manchester United bid €150 million, Euros, it's in the contract that... Dortmund then have to call Man City and say, hey, United have bid 150 million euros. Um, you can match that if you want, right? Mm-hmm. And they accept that. But then it's still Jadon Sancho's choice who he negotiates with. So there's no way that like, there's no way that Man City have like a 70 million buyback clause or anything no. like that. That is not the situation. Mm-mm. It's just the uh, first, cho- first chance to match any offer that comes in. Yep. And final X factor here is that if Neymar goes, decent chance that PSG have some money to spend. Maybe they also recognize the marketability of a young English Ooh. player who can score goals and has already done it for a top league. I would argue that Jaden Sancho showed so much savviness in saying, I'm going to leave yep. Man City if you're not going to mm-hmm. play me. Dortmund will play me. That he is too smart to take the big money move to PSG. I think for career advancement, he will see the Premier League as, I'm going to go back to maybe an equal league or stronger league to the Bundesliga and prove myself there. How long has Thomas Tuchel been gone? From Dortmund? Yeah. I can't I mean, enough for what, Peter Bosch to have a season and then Lucien yeah. Favre to come in? So yeah. Two and a half years, maybe? But is there a chance that Sancho was there? Or is that still, does no. that not overlap? Okay. I don't think it overlaps. All right. I yeah. forget when he moved there exactly, but that was going to be my next question. Like, maybe? Maybe he loved Thomas Tuchel. And was like, <laughs> that's who I want to play for again. I don't think he worked with Thomas Fine. Tuchel. But do you get my point that like yeah. he seems like one of those, like, it's not money first, it's, yeah, I'm going to play first. Uh, and so, therefore, he will not be going to PSG just for I, a bunch of money and not much of a challenge. I do when it's the situation he was in at Man City when he's a young player who wants to break through. Played, yeah. yeah, when it's like suddenly 
we're offering you three hundred thousand pounds a week. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe your head can be turned a little bit more oh, readily. It's readily. Like the testing of Jaden Sancho. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was we, tempted three times. We, we, oh, we. <laughs> All three from PSG. Jaden in the desert. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> yeah, again from PSG. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll see what happens with Jaden Sancho. Yeah. There's a chance he like goes out on a real high, right? Like winning the Bundesliga with Dortmund, scoring mm. a bunch of goals, and he's like, "All right, English teams, throw the money at me. <laughs> I'll take all the money, please." <laughs> Thank you to everybody for asking questions. I really enjoyed doing the weekend review this way because we know the specific things that people want to know about. Um, you notice there was no VAR talk. Mm-mm. That's because Taylor and Ryan had that covered on the, the big weekend review. Uh, I think the Guardian Football Weekly changed it briefly to Vardian Football Weekly. I think we should change <laughs> it to VAR talk. Do you think there's an overreaction um, to people to decisions in the Premier League? No, because I mean, I think we had this with uh, the uh, the World Cup of 2018, the Women's World Cup of 2019. I think anytime there's weird decisions that seem over the top or too strict or what have you, I think yeah. we end up talking about it. I also think that like the VAR, the VAR one this weekend was against Man we took City. Took away Gabriel Jesus' goal for yes. the Laporte handball in the build-up. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for the specifics. Which, which was a handball. Yep. Not a goal. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, I think, like it's it ha- it's happened to Man City when they could have like won the game, and now they've dropped points against a, a, a top tier team. I think it was always kind of destined to be the first time a big team is like uh, quote unquote cheated out of a goal. You're yeah. going to hear about it that much more emphatically. I guess it's because it's the repeat of Man City Tottenham as well from the yeah. Champions League semi final mm-hmm. that it just becomes a more high profile instant. Yep. It's actually very straightforward. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. All right. So. Put a line under that one. Put a line under that one. (laughs) So once again, thank you to everybody uh, for the questions. We will be back on Wednesday with yet more Total Soccer Show. So I will close by saying, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to watch your team not win the TSS Derby with me today. You will get no response. (laughs) Listeners, thank you you, for listening. We will talk to you again soon. (laughs)